Hello, Watermark, how we doing? And I wanna welcome our campuses in on the stream. And if you are somewhere around the world stepping away from your Memorial Day plans to tune in with us this morning, I'm glad that you are. I wanna welcome Fort Worth and Plano and really excited about where we're headed today. Have you guys seen this video that has gone viral uh, of this dad that went to pick up his son from school? Anybody seen that? Okay, some of you have, a lot of you haven't. Um, he was actually, a, he's a pastor. He was here at the church leaders conference. It has over 20 million views now. Uh, his wife's just filming with an iPhone. And let me give you the backstory before I show it. The son um, was complaining about taking the bus and just kept saying, Dad, well, all the, none of the other kids have to ride the bus. You know, why can't you pick me up? Just pick me up from school. And so, you know, after hearing this a few times, uh, the dad said, okay. Uh, I'll pick you up from school. And so watch this. said it wasn't my idea. And so here's what happens when you see something like that. There's this dichotomy that happens. So half of you, or maybe even more than half of you, based on the laughter, are like, that's genius. Okay. Why didn't I think about that? Uh, that he's dad of the year. Way to go. And then there's another half of you or some uh, fraction of you that's like, that's child abuse. And um, he's going to pay for that later when that kid leaves the home and hates him and, you know, reflects back. I remember when you came to school in a Speedo. That's right. Uh, and that's what happens with parenting. Like you just don't know. There's not this like, okay, like some people are like, no, this is how you do it. They have really strong opinions. This is the way, this is how you discipline. These are the things you need to do. I, I read Baby Wise and I'm still, you know, and then others of it are like, you know, no, I've, I've, I'm in this other camp. I've, I've read this other new book. I have this other thought. And what I feel like as a dad is like, there's no par. Like, I just want to know how I'm doing. Like somebody show me how I'm stacking up against the others. Like, am I, am I doing okay? Am I doing the best I can? You know, are the kids going to turn out okay? And it's just like, we, we want some sort of measurable. I've heard it said that extraordinary people come from extraordinary parents. And I'm like, yeah, but what makes an extraordinary parent? So stay tuned with me this morning because I'm going to tell you the other half of the story before you leave but that's what I want to talk about just for the next few minutes. There's some things that extraordinary parents do. And there's three reasons I want to cover this this morning. One is because Memorial Day marks the beginning of summer for a lot of us. Which means, you know, we're going to have more time and more exposure to our kids if you have them, if they're home from school. And it's like, do you have a plan? That's tomorrow. Do, do we have 
a plan? Are we going into the summer with a plan? Listen, you're not alone. Don't panic. We're going to help you, okay? Next week, we kick off significant summer. Our children's ministry, our kids' ministry here has invested a ton of time and resources to help you and give you just whatever age your kids, you can click on a button. It's watermark.org slash parenting. All of the information is there. The application for you today is just that everyone here would go there. Okay, so that's the first reason I want to speak about this. The second reason is, listen, let me say this. I am well aware, like what do I know about parenting, okay? I'm right in the middle of the experiment. I shouldn't even be allowed to speak on this, right? I mean, you haven't seen the results from our home, okay? But, but here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. I'm surrounded by some amazing parents. I've, I've seen parents whose kids now have kids, I, I've talked to them on a regular basis and I just started asking those parents questions. Hey, what did you guys do? I started hearing some really consistent answers. I started interviewing the kids. Said, hey, what did your parents do that, that made uh, your home exceptional? I started writing down their answers. I started seeing patterns. I wanna pass those on to you today. And then lastly, third reason I wanna speak on this is because I've spent the last 11 years of my life in young adult ministry which means I've spent the last 11 years of my life with the results of parenting, okay? Every single Tuesday night after the porch, I stand right here, there's a line of folks, and I begin to talk to them about some of the challenges and the successes that they're facing, some of the victories and some of the challenges that they're facing, and I begin to see these patterns, and as I begin to ask questions and, and look into their upbringing, those sorts of things, I can, can begin to see, like almost like, a, like a, a chart or a graph, these things that just connect together. Certainly there's exceptions, certainly there are exceptions, but there are a lot of remarkable patterns. And so what do extraordinary parents do? Extraordinary, the word, it just means weird or remarkable. Well, I just showed you weird. Weird's dad in a Speedo, right? That, that's weird, okay? But what would make a remarkable parent? And let me say this, because I know a lot of you aren't parents. This person that I think, as I thought about, who does this list of 10 things really well? We actually celebrated her at Staff Prayer on Tuesday. Uh, she's uh, never been married. She's never birthed a child of her own. She's over there caring for your kids right now. Uh, and she lives the 10 things that I'm gonna give you today. And uh, you don't have to wait until you have your own child to make disciples. And this is really a disciple-making message. All 10 of these things you can apply, whether you have children of your own or not. And the reason this matters so much is because parenting is God's plan for passing on what he values. We see this in Deuteronomy 6. There is, listen, there's a new generation rising up, whether you like it or not. They're very different from you. They have new technologies and different experiences and, and things that are going on in their world that didn't exist in your world. And we have to pass on to them the things that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth values and the way that he said we will do this is in the home. It's through parenting. And so this message is for anybody who is a parent, who wants to be a parent, or who had imperfect parents. Because we can kind of see as we go through this list some of the things that may impact our relationship with God. And so listen, if you're here and you don't want to be a parent and you had perfect parents, just feel free to, to go to lunch. And um, the rest of us will, will dive in. We're gonna go through a list of 10 things that extraordinary parents do supported by scripture. Let me just hit one more time on this word extraordinary. 
See, 1 Peter 2 calls us to be strangers and aliens, foreigners and exiles. Really, to follow Jesus, it's a commitment to being weird. It's a commitment to being strange. And so if your kids are like, none of the other parents do that, you just put that in the, you know, pat yourself on the back, good, I'm doing it right then. Because I'm a stranger and an alien. That, that we are weird parents, we're extraordinary parents, we're out of the ordinary parents. That's, we should do things different. The scripture calls us to it, to live a life that's not worldly, not ordinary, but extraordinary. Out of the ordinary, different Strangers, aliens, that's who we are. And so one way we're different from ordinary parents in the world is that we see kids as a gift. The first thing extraordinary parents do is they see children as a blessing. We see children as a blessing. Ordinary parents see children as an inconvenience that causes us to, to change the way we live. They're nuisances that invade our lives. This one was really difficult for me. I missed on this for a long time. Okay, because I'm an extrovert, right? I, I like to go and do, I love my wife. I love to be with her. I love one-on-one -on -one time with her. I love to go on dates or on vacation with her. And, and so this idea of bringing a child into the home to change everything about us and, and to kind of put us on house arrest for a season didn't sound like a lot of fun. It wasn't something I wanted to do. And honestly, when it happened, it wasn't a lot of fun. Had year two in marriage, we had a baby, the wheels fell off of our marriage. You wanna know why? I'm gonna, let you, I'm gonna tell you why. Because I'm selfish. And I wanna do what I wanna do and I wanted to do it. I'm so incredibly, so I wasn't ready to change and I didn't see this as a calling on my life. But then I read Psalm 127, verses three through five, which says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. A friend that went to the porch who left the home, I mean, or, or um, who grew up and got married and then was considering starting a family, went to a parenting class here, listened to a panel of parents, and at the end of it, he just raised his hand and he says, why should I do this? Like none of you made this sound fun or like a good idea. You all just told me how hard it was going to be and how much it was gonna change my life. So why should I? And he left that class not wanting to have kids of his own. And I think we need to be careful that the narrative that we communicate aligns with the heart of God, that children are a gift from him. They are a blessing. And sometimes when we try to play God and we try to control that too much, it says something else to the world. And those are all things we, we go into life with a really clear plan that sometimes is more ordinary than it is extraordinary. And this has been the biggest shift over the past 10 years in my own heart is learning that my kids are a gift and a blessing and really starting to enjoy them and love being with them and having fun with them and laughing with them and playing with them. Lastly, I would tell you on this note, uh, dear friend of mine uh, gave birth to his daughter day before yesterday uh, who died in the womb. And he texted me yesterday and he said, you tell Watermark, JP, you tell Watermark that kids are a gift and not to take them for granted. And I, I'm learning that. And I don't, wanna, I don't wanna lose one to have to learn that. And I'm grateful that he didn't lose one to have to learn that, that he knew that. The kids are a gift. 
And so we see them as a gift and we help them navigate this world which is full of things that are corrupt. And so the second thing extraordinary parents do, extraordinary parents teach kids about boundaries. Extraordinary parents teach boundaries. Ordinary parents, right, uh, they don't let their kids be bored. They constantly fill them with entertainment every second on their device, right? We go to dinner just the day, uh, day before yesterday. Weston's sitting there, can I have your phone? 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 You know, I don't know, maybe just me, but it's like, okay. And, and a lot of times I cave, I'm like, fine, here, take it but I'm really working on, you know what, it's okay for you to sit there and to listen to adult conversation and to be bored, because I had to, <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't have any device. No, because we have no idea what that's going to do to them. We have no idea how these little devices are gonna impact them, right? Ordinary parents let their kids date too early, long before they're ready for marriage, so that the only thing that is sure to happen is emotional brokenness. I see it all the time up here every Tuesday. Ordinary parents don't want to pry into their phones or computers or text, so they sit naively by while their kids have a gateway to any explicit thing that Satan wants to put in front of them. They don't know what apps are on their phone or how they're used or what they're doing. Ordinary parents send them overnight to places where they have no idea the topic of conversation that happens after midnight or what else might take place. I've learned from extraordinary parents that kids are like storage containers that their hearts are constantly being filled with information and you are competing with the world. You're competing with TVs and iPhones and iPads, devices, billboards, friends, teachers, uh, older siblings of their friends, other parents, aunts and uncles. You're competing with the entire world. It's a game. Who's gonna fill their heart with the most quote unquote said truth? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. With all vigilance, diligently guard the heart. It's a hostile language. It's, it's a military language, like a soldier who's armed at the front of a castle, taking hostage anybody that would try to get in. We're teaching them to do this, to protect what they feed their heart. I have the same conversation up here every single Tuesday. Let me say that just so you don't think. I'm, I'm weighing my words really careful. I have the same conversation every Tuesday right here. Hey, bud. Young man, young woman, I need help. What do you need? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Where, where, can, I, where can I point you? I'm addicted to porn. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. I know that journey too well. How'd you access, when did you access porn? When did it start? Fifth grade. Fifth grade, man. 12 years you've been addicted, huh? Yeah, 12 years. That's a long time. That's going to mess up somebody's heart. We have no idea how badly that messes up somebody's heart. How'd it happen? Man, I went and stayed at a friend's house. Fifth grade, their uncle had these magazines. Dad had these, you know, my friend showed me this on the phone iPad, computer, I fed something to me that I couldn't share. I saw something that I couldn't get rid of and then I went home and then all of a sudden my whole life became about how do I feed myself more of that thing that I saw in a moment? And that young man, that young woman has no idea that they've destroyed their marriage long before they've ever even met their spouse. 
And they would beg, if they could tell you something, parents, they would beg you to pry. I wish you'd have taken my phone, looked through it. I wish you'd have had the conversations with me. I wish you'd have sat me down and said, what is this? Hey, I gotta take this away from you. They beg you to do it. The sake of protecting their hearts. On Tuesday, we talked about how our hearts seek more of what it's fed. I told you, it's a competition, and so the third thing extraordinary parents do is they make the most of moments, constantly teaching their kids. Extraordinary parents make the most of moments. Ordinary parents let the church teach their kids about God's plan for their life. Ordinary parents outsource discipleship to other people, even though God says it starts in the home. The church, we are absolutely a resource to help you do this. You're not alone in this battle. You can reach out to us for help at any point in time. We will sit down with you, resource you, talk to you about a plan. We, we've put all of these resources online that you can go and get at any time. We want to help you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God saying a future generation is rising up, parents. And so every minute as you spend with your kids, teach these truths that I've entrusted to you to them. Pass them on to them. As I said, watermark.org slash parenting. It has a plan. And there's four times as we talk about making the most of moments, there's really four moments that we focus on. Okay, morning time, Meal time, drive time, and evening time. Morning time, meal time, drive time, and evening time. You can go and click on the ages of your kids and we will give you a plan for morning time, meal time, drive time, and evening time. We want to help you. And so one thing that I've learned from Todd is just, um, is you know something that he would do that I, we just started doing you know, as I take my girls to school is I, I'll quiz them on Bible verses. And so every morning we're driving to school and I'll just say, okay, who has Proverbs 4.23? And they'll say, I got it. Whoever says, I got it first. You know, that's like the buzzer. And then, okay, go. And they've got two seconds or four seconds to start. And if they don't, the other one can take over. And they'll say, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. I say, great, okay, what does it mean? Sometimes that stumps them. They're like, it means to guard your heart. <laughs> what does it mean? Proverbs 31.30, go. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, go. Matthew 6, go. James 1, 19, Ephesians 4, 29. These are verses we go over every single morning so that when I drop them off to school, it's fresh on their hearts. Your kids, they're being taught right now. We have a list of questions online that you can ask them about what they learned today. And you can even say, man, I don't know that story. You don't have to be embarrassed. Hey, I don't know that story. Tell me, where's it found? Let's read it together over lunch today. Let that drive your conversation as you share your next meal. They will learn what you teach them, but more than what you teach them, they will learn by your example. So number four, extraordinary parents live as examples. Extraordinary parents live as examples. Ordinary parents say Jesus is important. You need to know God's word, but their lives say otherwise. Their lives say that work is important, or things are important, or sports are important. 
that other priorities are important. Ordinary parents go at it alone instead of letting community speak in. Ordinary parents say you should respect authority, but when they get home, they talk about their boss or they talk about the officer who gave them a ticket or they talk about the government, all while saying you need to respect authority. 1 Corinthians 11 verse one says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Another conversation I have here every Tuesday. I said, man, how'd you become a Christian? Oh man, I strayed, went to college and just got mixed up in the wrong people. But you know what, I remember growing up and I would wake up in the morning, my mom was always up earlier than me. This is my story. This is my story. I never, ever could, uh, I would never get up earlier than my mom was there. She was there in the living room with a light and her Bible. And listen, she can say this is important, but that she would get up and dive in there, that tells me what is really important. I would never go to bed and tell my parents goodnight without seeing my dad kneeling beside his bed praying. And these, these images, they had a profound impact even when I was running from God. And I hear it all the time, often, a lot of Tuesdays on that one. Another thing that I hear on Tuesdays is I was raised in a Christian home, but. I was raised in a Christian home, but, insert hypocrisy. I was raised in a Christian home, but my dad would yell at my mom. I was raised in a Christian home, but my mom would drink a lot. I was raised in a Christian home, but, and, and you would insert some hypocrisy that has, you know what, this, this isn't real. It's like Karl Marx was raised in a Jewish home, but his dad converted to Christianity because it helped him with work, and he saw that religion was just a tool to manipulate people. So that's what he did. They'll learn what you teach them, but they'll learn even more from your example. The best thing that I can do for my kids is study God's word every day and do what it says, which is to say the best thing I can do for my children is to have an authentic relationship with Jesus that cannot be faked. I was driving with one of them the other day and we were just talking and they had just made a choice that was inconsistent with who they are in Jesus and and these words came out of my mouth and I just said, hey, you know what? I know that you, you know God. I know that when we're doing those Bible drills, you're rattling off the scriptures, I know you know God. I'm just not convinced you love God. And as I sat in my own quiet time, I sensed the Lord saying to me, well then show them how you love me. Because that's how they're gonna learn how to love me. Only by your example will they learn how to love me. And so one of the greatest things we can do as examples is apologize. Extraordinary parents ask forgiveness frequently. Extraordinary parents ask forgiveness frequently, which is to say uh, extraordinary parents make mistakes. I've had a ton of practice at this one. Um, this is the one I feel uh, like I, I've learned the most of all of them. Ordinary parents don't make mistakes. Uh, they're too prideful to see their own wrongs. Matthew chapter five, verses 23 through 26 says, you leave your gift at the altar, you run and you be reconciled. Ephesians four, diligent at preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians six, verse four says, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. First John one, verse eight says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The most humble young adults that I talk to 
that I've seen learned humility by their parents modeling it and asking their forgiveness. This is something that showed up consistently in those conversations as I talked with extraordinary parents and extraordinary kids. What did, what, what did you do? We asked their forgiveness regularly. My parents would constantly ask our forgiveness for things. Uh, day before yesterday, we were hanging out in the living room and my four-year-old was standing on a DVD and when I noticed it, I just was like, what are you doing? Kind of pushed him off. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's probably what it felt like to him. What are you doing? And um, I didn't think anything of it. It went on about my day. My, my wife, who's incredibly great at this, just pulled me aside later and said, hey, I don't think that was your best. I was like, what, when? Like, what? <laughs> Dad of the year. Um, I don't think that was your best when you were talking to Weston earlier. Just kind of, and I was like, oh, okay. I went to him. I was level, hey, buddy. Hey, will you, man, when I was upset that you were standing on that DVD, I, I didn't respond consistent with the spirit. Will you forgive me? And he said, yeah, I forgive you, daddy. And we went on, and then he came to me later and pulled on my little pant leg and said, daddy, I said, yeah, buddy, will you forgive me for standing on that DVD? I said, yeah, buddy, I will. They're gonna learn it. They're gonna learn it through what we do. We can't let our pride get in the way as, as mine does often. See, asking forgiveness, it turns mistakes into memorable, teachable moments. And so here's the question for us to consider is, is when is the last time you've asked for forgiveness? And if a month's gone by, it's probably too long. This is something that we can easily audit. Am I regularly asking their forgiveness? We don't wanna let our authority uh, get in the way of, of humility, but I do wanna remind you that you are in authority. And so number six, extraordinary parents discipline consistently, calmly, and with care. Extraordinary parents discipline consistently, calmly, and with care. Ordinary parents avoid the inconvenience of discipline because it is inconvenient. When you're at the grocery store or you're out in public, it is, it is an when you're in a hurry, it's an inconvenient thing to discipline. Ordinary parents count to three, which really teaches delayed obedience. Hey, one, two, when the bus is coming, you can't be like, get out of the road, one, two, right? You wanna teach them, listen, this is what I'm asking you to do, to obey. Ordinary parents protect their kids from consequences. They come in. And they shelter them from that teacher or for whatever it is. Ordinary parents discipline out of anger. Ordinary parents use strength and volume to intimidate as a shortcut. They teach their kids to fear their parents, not the wrong they did. And you saw that I do that. The other day, Weston just talked back to his mama. I was right there. She said, hey, I need you to do this. He said, but, 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 but mom, you know. And I just go, Hey! You up? That's what he did. That's what he did. Eyes well up with tears. It's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. Hey, I'm in charge. It's not God's spirit. It takes time to say, hey, buddy, come here. Hey, sit down. Listen, you got to be disciplined now. You can't talk back to mommy. You know that. You, you know the rule, right? Why are you here? Talk through that, walk through it unemotionally. So much easier to respond out of anger and tell them, you better listen to me. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, 
but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And Hebrews 12 reminds us that God disciplines us. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, it doesn't, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let me tell you something. Again, weigh these words carefully. I got them written down. This is the single most recognizable pattern of the extraordinary parents and the extraordinary kids that I've talked to. This one. It's the single most recognizable pattern. I believe that I can stand in here Tuesday night and through conversations and people that I know with great accuracy to, uh, uh, select those who have been disciplined in the home and those who haven't, those who had disciplinarian parents and those who didn't. It is the single most observable pattern that I've seen is this one on discipline. When I would discipline my kids, what I used to say is, I don't wanna do this. Hey, I don't wanna do this. You know, God's word says I have to, which really helps them love God, you know. God's making me do this. I don't wanna do this. But then I realized I do wanna do this. What I'm really saying is, hey, I'd prefer you have not to have done what you did. I'd prefer you to listen and obey. I'd, I'd prefer you not to be disrespectful or disobedient. But in reality, when you are disrespectful and disobedient, I absolutely do because I love you, want to discipline you. I want to. It is what I believe is going to shape your character and shape who you are. I believe it's going to have a profound impact on your lives. I had a, a young adult tell me this week uh, that was the one thing that I hated the most and the one thing that I'm most thankful for. And she went back to her parents and kind of walked me through what that looked like in their home and said, I am so thankful for the way dad would do that consistently and then just come and tell me afterwards every single time he loved me and I couldn't leave his room till I said it back, she said. And I thought, that's great. She said, sometimes I was in there a long time. <laughs> and Todd did a message called Parenting's Dirty Dozen where he used an illustration that's ministered to me I wanna share with you. Um, so it's just like a referee. Think about a referee in a game, right? That is an unemotional thing for him. Somebody jumps off sides. He's not like, oh, what are you doing? Really, again, you can't count to three? Hot, 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 you know? He just goes up. He clearly states, uh, you know, offense, offsides, 15-yard um, penalty. I know nothing about sports, so I assume it's something like that. Uh, 15-yard penalty. He just says, hey, this is what they did. This is the predetermined consequence. It's unemotional for me. There's no warning. It's not like, hey, buddy, I saw you offsides. Gonna give you another chance on that one. Hey, you jumped offsides. Here's the consequence that goes with it. He's not like, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? He's just like, hey, this is what you did. This is what's gonna happen. It's unemotional. We're like referees. That's what we're doing, we sit down, hey, this is what you did, this is the predetermined consequence that I've already communicated to you. When you do that, this is going to happen, and so this is what's going to happen. If you wanna do it again, this is what's going to happen. If you wanna do it again, this is what's going to happen. I'm gonna to continue to move you back 15 yards. But that's not really what I do. Just to let you know, I'm going with that sports analogy, the sports ball thing. So discipline is important, but prayer, prayer is the most effective and easiest thing you can do for your kids. Number seven, extraordinary parents pray persistently. Extraordinary parents pray persistently. Ordinary parents stay stressed, wondering where they can turn to for help. 
1 Samuel 12, 23 says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. See also Hebrews 4, 16, which says, where can I go when I, when I need help? Where can I find it? God is right there. Jesus tore the veil. I can talk to the creator, the one who formed me in my mother's womb. Prayer is the real work of parenting. Prayer is the real work of parenting. I, over the past 11 years, have had the privilege and opportunity to do some extraordinary weddings. And I've sat there at those rehearsal dinners when the parents have stood up and, and they looked at the, the spouse of their, or the soon-to-be spouse of their child, and they said, I prayed for you every night, I prayed for you. I prayed that he would find a God-fearing, godly woman who God would protect and preserve. I'm, I just met you a year ago, but I prayed for you for the past 20 years. What a gift to say that. I've seen that over and over and over. This is something, it takes the same amount of energy to worry as it does to pray. One's a faithless waste of time, one's powerful and effective. And they take the same amount of time. And so rather than worry about your children, turn those worries into prayers. I've been convinced of this from those parents that I talked to that just said, hey, we prayed for them every day. So at night we sit and we pray for their spouses, we pray for their lives, we pray for their gifts. Uh, well, sometimes I get home, you know, after the porch, they're already in bed, and so sometimes I'll walk up there and stand outside their room at their shut door and just beg God to woo their hearts as they sleep. Win them, Lord. Mark out their lives in extra, for extraordinary purposes for you that you would do through them. God, he gave you these gifts of children. And so when you need help understanding who they are, ask him. And that's number eight. Extraordinary parents become students of their children. Extraordinary parents become students of their children. Ordinary parents live vicariously through their children. They try to give them the life they wanted rather than the life God wants for them. Ordinary parents believe that one size fits all in parenting. But, but Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, he says, to the weak I became the weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so we study our, our kids. We understand the gifts that God has given us. And I want you to think about this in two simple categories. One is gifts and one is sin patterns. Okay, think about what are the gifts that the Lord has entrusted to you in those arrows. They may be different than your gifts. And then what are the sin patterns that they're more tempted toward? They may, may be different than your sin patterns. And so be students of them and learn about them and show them, hey, that's gonna hurt you. Hey, this is how God made you. Hey, this, these are the gifts that God has given you for him so that you can make him famous. In our home, we have an artist and an athlete. An artist and an athlete. I'm an artist, okay? I've already proved, I'm proven I'm not an athlete. So I'm an artist, and so it's easy for me to sit down with her and to pour into her. I've got, I need help with the athlete and to, to help her unleash those gifts, but I wanna invest a lot of time there because I see that God has given entrusted things to her that, that she can make him famous by. And so we talk about it. In our home, we have an introvert. We have one that hides behind my legs. I'm trying to teach, hey, look them in the eyes. And they're you know, afraid and intimidated. But she's got a huge gift for reading. You know, she'll sit in the corner and read like crazy and study, and she's smart. And then I've got a 
you know, a four-year-old salesman who's never met a stranger. Like, he'll walk up to anybody and just start talking to him. He's probably got the gift of evangelist, right? Evangelism. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to study them and understand the gifts that God has entrusted to them because that's what I've seen extraordinary parents around here do. I want to prepare them for the works that God has for them. It's Ephesians 2.10, for they're God's workmanship. They're God's creation. They're God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to walk in the good works that he's prepared in advance for them to walk in. And so to be students of them, it requires a lot of time with them. Number nine, extraordinary parents understand that presence is the greatest present. Extraordinary parents understand that presence is the greatest present. Ordinary parents think a trip once a year to Disney World is enough. Ordinary parents seek to provide more than enough stuff when the stuff they needed most was more of them. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I've heard it said well, that rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so what helps me in terms of this is to think about a scoreboard. And the way that you put points up on that that scoreboard is by spending time with them. And all things are created equal. So Disney World is a point. Bedtime story is a point. A date is a point. T-ball practice is a point. Right? They're all equal. And so how many points am I putting up there? John McGee talked about just kind of envisioning this shot clock above their head that's ticking down. When I heard him say that, I began to realize that, that my oldest daughter, she's 10 years old. If she's leaving the house at 18, then I'm over halfway through the experiment. How have I done at preparing her for the world? That that time, that clock, it's ticking down. There's only a few years left. Time is limited. And sooner or later, before we know it, we're gonna hear this. And there's no more points to put up. There's no more time to invest. The score's settled. It's done. And so what do we do at that point but today prepare them for that moment? As Todd has said through the years very well, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. That's been a slow lesson for me to learn. But I've seen others, like some of you, where you just take your kids with you, which I think is awesome. My friend Jeff Ward takes his sons with him everywhere he goes when he's doing ministry, when he's doing things. He's not worried if they're bored. Like some of the greatest gifts you can teach your kids is how to be bored. And I remember going with my dad, feeding the cows every Saturday, bored out of my mind. Today I miss being bored with my dad. I miss those times, and they're going to as well. And so right about now, as we wrap up, you feel incredibly guilty. (laughs) And so this one is really important. Extraordinary parents know that only grace makes parents extraordinary. It's an act of God. Extraordinary parents know that only grace makes children extraordinary. What I want you to know is that grace covers a multitude of parenting mistakes. And sometimes the extraordinary kids I talk to, they come from abusive homes, they come from broken homes, they come from crazy experiences, and God just flexes. 
Sometimes their stories are, you know, I was suicidal, I was cutting myself, I was at the end of my rope, and now I'm a pastor and a missionary and I'm walking with Jesus and I love him. And God, he changes hearts, he changes lives. He offers hope. And so go back to that one about prayer and just think about Israel who had the best father anyone could have in God, the creator, but his children still rebelled. Isaiah 1 verse 2 says, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Even God, who's a perfect father's children, rebelled. I've heard it said, and this is worth noting, we take too much credit when our kids turn out great and too much blame when they don't. And the most spiritual, God-fearing man that I know, the best dad that I know, humanly speaking, uh, he has children who are leaders in their church. He has kids who walk humbly with Jesus and he has a prodigal who has not come back. And he's waiting, and we're praying. And they all, we're all raised in the same home. And there's a part of this that God is teaching us that we are just not in control. We can pray and, and be consistent and know that obedience is not determined by the outcome. It's not a parenting message. It's a disciple-making message. To parent passively is easy, but it is void of reward. To parent faithfully is costly. It takes time, discipline, resources, focus, and hard work. It does not always produce success in the children, but it always displays the commitment to God and the disciple and reminds us that God is at work in spite of us. God who gave his son on our behalf to cover our parenting misses. And so rely on grace, teach grace, display the gospel in your parenting, do the best you can and sleep like a baby and trust that those arrows that the Lord has entrusted to you are his arrows. They are his arrows. This week we um, got an email for the first time, you never wanna get this email, it's from a teacher, it just said, hey, we wanna talk to you about one of your kids we have some concerns, Would you? Uh, can we meet with you as soon as possible? And I got the email and I saw that my wife was on there and I knew that was not gonna go well. So I called immediately and, and uh, luckily caught the teacher who was on her planning period and she was incredibly gracious and, and incredibly kind. And it's, it's, it's a privilege to partner with those teachers in, in raising our kids. And, um, and she just said, you know, two concerns. She said, one, can we add Monica? So this impromptu conference call happened. And so two concerns. The first one is, um, you know, uh, we just see some, there's a roughness, like a tackling that's going on when they're playing soccer and just kind of just rough. And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's on me. You know, it's every night before they go to bed, it's wrestle time, it's WrestleMania in the house. And that's, that's daddy's fault, you know, that's on me. And she's like, and the second thing is, you know, there's kids from a lot of religions in the classroom, and uh, she uh, told one of the kids they were going to hell. I was like, that's on her mama. That's on her mama. Uh, no, I was like, oh, I think that's, that's on me too. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, she walked us through the narrative. I was like, yeah, I'm your friend because uh, I like you, but also because I want to convert you. And uh, I said, oh, man, we've got to talk about those tactics. Uh, 
And he said, there's no, there's no handbook for this. I'm like, what do we do, you know? And, and so what do I do? I reached out for help. I called friends around me. I, I talked with Todd and others and just said, hey, what did you guys do in, in these kinds of situations? And it was, it was incredible, you know, just as I look at this list, I'll, I'll tell you, we, one, I realized that, that being their dad is a privilege. And we talked about boundaries and respecting the boundaries of others just in, as we're playing on the playground. And we, we made the most of the teachable moment and I, I knew that they had learned from my example, and so I acknowledged that. I asked for forgiveness for what I had done, and I asked uh, and just said, hey, you're gonna need to go and ask for forgiveness. We talked through the discipline that would happen if this continues and, and uh, put discipline on the, the being rough part right there. We prayed. We talked about how they might have the gift of evangelism, but their technique was off, and, uh, and their sin struggle may be judging others. And it took a lot of time. In fact, what we did is we called one of the families and we just said, hey, can we meet you? And they were so kind and gracious to, to meet us for ice cream that night. And uh, the kids sat there at a table and mine was able to ask for forgiveness just for the words and saying, hey, that's not um, reflective of the love that my God calls me to. And they called another family and they couldn't meet for a number of reasons, um, but they were also very gracious and uh, extended grace and forgiveness. And I still felt a little unsettled. I wanted, wanted to meet with them. And uh, I took my kids to a random diner in North Texas, or North Dallas, rather. And, uh, and this Saturday, we sat down. And lo and behold, I mean, two of the closest tables in the whole place, this other family comes and sits down right beside us. I'm talking a foot and six inches away from my shoulder. It was the dad I had never met, and, and it's just God. And I was able to go up and take my kid with me and ask for forgiveness and talk through the God that we love. And, and what it was for me is God just saying, hey, I got you, bro. I'm still driving this thing. I'm still very much in control here. And it was a gift, and so that's what I wanna leave you with is God's got you. He's still at the driver's seat of this deal. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege, privilege it is to, to be a dad or a mom. and Thank you for the, the high call of being a disciple and, and really the call to make disciples. And so would you do that? Would you multiply that in this place? And um, I just thank you for the grace that covers a multitude of parenting mistakes. I pray for all of the, the children that are represented in this room. I pray for the future generation that's rising up. I pray that faith would just be multiplied and the gospel would be spread and the kingdom would be built out of this place. And Father, protect my friends from guilt and condemnation. Help them to receive grace. Help them to extend it. Help them to do the best they can and to trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen. If we can help you in any way, you do have that Watermark News. We'd love to pray with you or for you. Watermark.org slash parenting. Don't forget that resources. Uh, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Have a great week of worship.